Morning, Church. My name's Jean. If I haven't met you, hi and welcome. Um, Join with me now as we read our second Bible reading from today, uh, Luke chapter 7, verses 11 to 17. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. This is the word of our Lord. Good morning, friends. My name's John. I'm one of the ministers at this church. I really love uh, this story. I love the stories of the gospel as we read it. We do meet the person of Jesus Christ. And wasn't that a wonderful kids talk before? You know, it happens almost pretty much every week. You have the kids talk and we're thinking, we probably don't need the sermon anymore. You know, it's so good already. Uh, And I actually didn't know whether I should cry or laugh before, but it was so good. Uh, But we're going to consider it again now. But let's uh, join in prayer once again. Heavenly Father, as we read this story, as we read of the person of Jesus Christ, we pray that we will meet him and know of his power and what he offers us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if there is one topic that is considered taboo, perhaps even in the church, but certainly in our Western society, a topic that's unsettling, a topic that we want to sort of keep at a distance, keep far from us, is the topic of death. I mean, who wants to talk about death? Who wants to think about it? It's so dark and unknown and frightening. But Yvonne and myself, we talk about death often enough. Not every day, of course, you know, it's not that type of relationship. But we do talk about death often enough. Perhaps we talk about it a bit insensitively, in fact, and morbidly. We sometimes even joke a bit about it, though we shouldn't, but we do. And we do ask each other, so who do you think will die first, you or me? It's a very romantic conversation. And you're probably not what you're thinking, but we're both thinking, I want to die before you. (laughs) And that's because you look after the kids, you stay alone, I'd rather die first. Now we say that insensitively, and we do love our kids, by the way, in case you're wondering. I've in fact even picked some of my funeral hymns that I want. I've told Yvonne, she said, I don't want to know it. I said, no, it's up there in the clouds, in in the Apple phone, and you'll have it. One of them is, in fact, Be Thou My Vision. Love that hymn. Popular at weddings as well. Funerals, you know, take your pick. But we do talk about death, sometimes insensitively, morbidly. It's not normal. But in our society, we don't like talking about death, do we? Especially in the Western world, because it's so deeply unsettling. It's frightening, it's dark, it's, it's just the unknown. In fact, in our society, we've become somewhat desensitized to death because we try to keep that at a distance. 
You know, sick people, we confine them to hospitals. Old people, we confine them to nursing homes. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but we want to keep it far from us. We don't want to think about it because if it's too close, it's too confronting. In fact, in, according to one research paper out of Israel, we find this. A study found that the brain shields us from existential fear by categorizing death as an unfortunate event that often befalls on other people. And so when we're talking about death, it's always about someone else. In fact, according to this research paper, the brain does not accept that death is related to us. But of course it is, isn't it? It is. One English minister from centuries ago, John Donne, he said, Death comes equally to us all and makes us all equal when it comes. Disease, cancer, old age, tragedy, something will come one day and it will make us all equal. You see, we cannot cheat death, can we? We cannot cheat death. But someone did. Not cheat death, but beat death. And unless we know him on the pages of Scripture, we'll be terrified by death until our last day. And so that's what we're going to consider today. So let's have a look at this story. Do keep your Bibles open to Luke 7. So what happened? Well, we meet this person, Jesus Christ. He travelled to a place called Nain, which was southwest of Galilee. Now, of course, Jesus knew what he was doing. He knew where he was going. He knew exactly what he was going to see. And so what did he see? Well, what Jesus saw that day at the gate of the town was a picture of hopelessness. It was a picture where all hopes were dashed. It was a picture once again that death has won again. The great equaliser, isn't it, death? Rich or poor, we all still die naked. Healthy or unhealthy in life, death still catches up. Beautiful or not so beautiful, the worms don't care. They will still eat the dead body. And so Jesus, upon coming to the gate of this town, we're meant to now sense this sense of horror and finality of death as the funeral procession was taking place. And so we see in verse 12, as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. It's a bit like, you know, sometimes you drive down the street, down Canary Road, and you see a whole bunch of people in black as the coffin is taken out. Or each time you drive and you see the hearse passing, what happens? The heart sort of sinks a bit, doesn't it? Because there you see a symbol of reality, a sign to this world that death has won again, and all hopes are dashed. And then we read verse 12, have a look. A dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother. Now when we read that, our heart is meant to sink once again. The only son of his mother. Or more literally, in the Greek is, the only son to his mother. It's meant to express the preciousness of the son to his mother. 
And so as she was walking beside the coffin of her son with deep sorrow and grief, she's thinking, part of me died today because today I have to bury my son. Now that's a scene you never ever want to see. No parent should ever have to bury their own child. I mean, I, I am a minister. I've served for quite a number of years and I've seen a fair bit of grief in my time. But not much grief surpasses that of a grieving parent. In fact, just this past Wednesday, Yvonne and myself, we went along to a funeral in Altona. It was the funeral of a young man, the brother, the younger brother of one of our friends from our previous church. Just this Wednesday. As I was reflecting on this passage, we went along to that funeral and we saw... It's just heartbreaking. 35-year-old man left a grieving wife and a grieving mother. You go to a funeral of a young person and you just think, this is so wrong. This is so unnatural. And that was taking place that day when Jesus arrived at the gate of Nain. And then we read on in this story, and that's not all. Look at verse 12 still. The only son of his mother, the only son to his mother, and she was a widow. You see, our hearts are meant to sink as low as it could possibly go. If needing to bury your own child is not tragic enough, she was also a widow. Now, we may not realize this, but in the ancient world, that was the most tragic situation to be in. She already had no husband to love her, to protect her, to defend the family. Now she's lost her only son, in whom all her hopes were placed. But he's dead as well. I mean, forget carrying on the family name. That surname finished at that point. Forget having any grandchildren. That is all gone. Forget the future. Gone. You see, Jews regarded childlessness as a special calamity and even a direct punishment from God. And so there's not much in life that surpasses the grief of that widow that day, excruciating agony. Death swallowed up all her hopes. And the people around her, they got it, didn't they? They could not do anything, but they joined in her in her profound grief. Verse 12, a large crowd from the town was with her. You see, culturally speaking, the wailing of that town that day would have been something else. Not what we might see in our own experience. You see, in Western sensibilities, our grief looks very different. You've been to a funeral, it looks very different because when we cry, we we choke, but we try to hold it in. We try to contain our emotions. But in the Eastern culture, they let it all out. They wail. I mean, we heard a bit from Rebecca before in the kiss hall, but, you know, multiply that by 100. Funerals in the Eastern culture, it's a spectacle of lament, wailing and crying at the top of their voices. There was nothing to be worried about. They weren't worried about being dignified, and the town felt that. And so imagine that scene. What do you do? What happens to your heart at that moment? Well, what did Jesus do? Verse 13. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. Meaning he had compassion upon her. Now, it's worth us 
capturing the intensity of that word here. In the ancient world, it was believed that the seat of the human emotion was not the heart, but the gut. And so the word here is that Jesus was moved in his inward parts, in his bowels. His bowels yearned for this mother. The, the, root, word, the gr- root word of the Greek is the spleen. His guts went out to her. He was touched by this sight of human agony. Just like how John Calvin said, John Calvin, the great reformer, he said, Christ put on our feelings as well as our flesh. When Jesus became a man, he identified also with our pain. You see, Jesus was not just compassionate. He felt compassion. And even that point is worth us remembering today, isn't it? That Jesus is not just compassionate, but he feels compassion. And so in our moments of grief and sadness and sorrow and setbacks, when we're feeling like we're in the dark hole where we're all alone and the tears just flow, we remember at that point the humanity of Jesus. He feels compassion for us. His heart or his guts go out to us. And so feeling compassion for the grieving, that just makes sense. I mean, what else could you do? You feel for someone who is grieving like that. You feel for that mother who wouldn't. I mean, at that funeral just this past Wednesday, after seeing that mother bury the ashes of her son in the ground, after seeing her grief, her sorrow, the heaviness of her heart, I had compassion. I felt so deeply sorry for her, but there was nothing I could do. But look at what Jesus did. Look at what he said, verse 13. He said, don't cry. Dry your tears. Now, what do you think about what Jesus said there? I mean, isn't that the last thing you would say to a grieving mother? I mean, on Wednesday, when I saw that grieving mother, after she buried the ashes of her son in the ground, I did not go up to her and say, don't cry. Not at all. That would be so cold, so heartless. I mean, she's just buried her son. What do you say to a grieving widow? Well, you might say, it's okay to express your grief. It's okay to cry, and here's a shoulder to cry on. But you never say what Jesus said, would you? You'd never say that. I mean, how could you? So cold, so heartless, so insensitive. What do you mean, don't weep, Jesus? Who do you think you are? Get out of here. But why was Jesus able to say those words? It was because he could do something about her grief. You see, compassion without Being able to do anything about it can be very close to just pity. But with Jesus, his compassion was matched by his power to do something about it. And so what did Jesus do? Well, he did something that would have just frozen the people there. Verse 14. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. Now you betcha, of course they would have stood still. This is crazy. What is this guy doing? 
Now, what we may not realize was that that was a big deal for any Jew to be in the presence of any corpse to, or to touch anything at all. You see, according to numbers, according to Jewish laws, to come into contact with the, the, the deceased, you, you'd be considered ceremonially unclean for a week. Now, I was fascinated by, by that law in numbers. And so this week, I in fact caught up a, a Jewish funeral home. And I wanted to ask, so what do you do when you Jewish people hang around the deceased? What do you do when you handle them, the mortician? And so kindly enough, I got to chat to the CEO of this uh, Jewish funeral home. We had a good long chat. I asked him, so, so what do you do? How, how do you manage the ceremonial uncleanness today? And his answer, in short, was, well, because there is no temple today, by definition, Jews remain in a state of impurity. And so not many Jews are too concerned about that. However, he did mention the priestly group, the Kohens. Kohen in, Kohen in, in Hebrew means priest. They still maintain strict rules. And in fact, in the chapel, there are designated places for them to go so that they don't get too close to the dead. Even at Jewish cemeteries, there are marked lines and footpaths for the Kohens to go on so that they don't get too close to the dead. But back in the first century... They took it seriously. You don't get around. You don't get close to the dead. But Jesus here, he ignores that ritual uncleanness. What did he do? He comes up close and he touches. He stops the funeral in its tracks. Now let me say, and it probably goes without saying, in the funerals I've conducted as a minister, that has never happened to me. Never. I mean... At the funerals here, we've had, we have had quite a number here. As the coffin is, is taken down this aisle and I walk up in front, no one has ever dared jump up in front of me and say, stop. Not at all. In fact, when we see a hearse driving past, no one jumps in, the, in front of the car and says, stop, turn around. We don't do that. Why? Because we know death is the end. We know there is no turning back. We can see that death has swallowed up the person and it is finished. But what did Jesus do? Well, he simply spoke and his compassion was matched by his power. Verse 14, he said, Young man, I say to you, get up. Now, wouldn't it have been so fascinating just to imagine what those poor bearers would have been thinking at that point? You know, they must have been thinking, is he talking to you? No, I think he's talking to the dead person. They would have been so shocked. And those words of Jesus pierced the grave. And even the dead man in the darkness of death heard the words of Jesus. I mean, who has such a voice that can even reverse death and stop a funeral in its tracks? Well, the only one is the one who has power over life and death. And so verse 15, the dead man sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother. It's a bit like a gift from the grave to the mother. And you must wonder what that man said, but we don't know. But what a day that would have been for that mother. What a day. The worst day of her life, now the best day. Probably she did not even have enough time to dry her tears. It happened so quickly. 
from mourning to praise, from grief to joy, all within seconds. And so you can understand why the response of the town around her, verse 16, they were all filled with awe and they praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. And they were half right. Because Jesus was more than a prophet, more than what Elijah and Elisha did in the Old Testament. Because Jesus was indeed God coming to help his people. Just as Isaiah expected, prophesied, anticipated. In our first reading, do you remember that? On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all the tears from all faces. And that was happening at the gate of Nain. The long-awaited Messiah had arrived. See, I love this story. It's a magnificent story. The compassion of Jesus matched by his power. And it seemed like that day, at the beginning of the day, it seemed like death had won. Death won again, swallowed up the life of this man. But by the end of this day, death itself was swallowed up. But I wonder whether you'll be thinking, after reading that story, whether you'll be thinking what I was thinking as I was reading this passage. It's a great story, isn't it? A happy ending. You know, a Disney-like type of happy ending. But my question was still, so what? So what? Good story, good for the mother, good for the son. He came back to life, but eventually the family will experience grief again. Either the mother will die first or the son again. The son will eventually have two funerals. The miracle was nice, fascinating. So what? What does this story, what has it got to do with us today in 2023? How does it help us anyway? Because we still die, don't we? We still don't like talking about death. And the last time I checked the stats, the mortality rate is still today 100%. Still hasn't changed. And death still unsettles us. And we still want to keep it at a distance. It's about someone else. So what's the point of this story? Well, this is where we need to understand the different layers of what was taking place here. You see, on the one layer, we see the compassion of Jesus matched by his power. He had compassion on this widow and brought her son back to life and he had the power to do so. That's the one layer. We see the compassion of Jesus, his humanity. He not just, was not just compassionate, but he felt compassion. But then on another layer, this was not a standalone, out-of-the-blue type of miracle. It was showing the people then and now that the messianic age had arrived. And Jesus was himself pointing to something greater. You see, what was that greater? But well, do you remember what Isaiah prophesied? We don't actually see that picture in full in this story. Let's look at that again. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples. Not just that one man. He will swallow up death forever. Not just that one time. And the sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. Not just the face of the mother. How? Well, that's the story of the gospel. 
That's the story of the gospel. That was where Jesus was journeying towards. Because on this mountain, what mountain? On this mountain, on a little hill outside the walls of Jerusalem, on the hill of Calvary, another son died. But not any son, but the Son of God. You see, Jesus himself went into the darkness, the blackness of death, and he was crucified on the cross. He went into death, but he swallowed up death. He defeated death by his own death, and he came back to resurrection life. That was what this story was pointing towards. And in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he guarantees ours. There is more beyond our funeral. There is more beyond the grave. There's no second funeral for Jesus at all. You know, just like that old hymn, an empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. You know where that's from? You know that one? Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living because he lives. It's why Yvonne and myself, we do joke insensitive at times, but we're not afraid of talking about death, as morbid as it sounds. Because we know the voice of the one. He can speak words to bring the dead back to life. And we trust in him. We trust in him and we will live. But here's a plea, because I suspect there are some of you here today, maybe for the first time, maybe you've heard it for a hundredth time. From God's perspective, spiritually speaking, you are as good as dead as that young man in that coffin, with no hope and no life. Now, of course, you're alive, you're breathing, you're sitting here, but no spiritual life at all. No life with God. No hope beyond the grave. Well, perhaps today, just as Jesus walked to that coffin and spoke his voice that even pierces the grave, young man, I say to you, get up. Maybe today you're hearing the voice of Jesus. Young man, young woman, older man, older woman, I say to you, spiritually speaking, get up. Get up and come back to life. Hear my voice. Trust in me. And there is a life for you now that will go beyond the grave. You see, for some of us, death will remain unsettling, terrifying, frightening, unless we come to know him. Because I know he holds the future. And so maybe today is that day for you. Hear his voice and respond and get up. But for the rest of us, a story like this is something that must confront us. It has to confront us. When you see death, it has to be confronting. What is it that really matters in life? For us, for those we love and care for. I mean, the grief of a lost son, there's not much that can surpass that. It is hard. Wednesday this week was hard. But how much more devastating if it was in fact the grief of not just the lost body, but the lost soul. 
there's a difference. How much more devastating if it was the grief of not just the lost body, but the lost soul. Not just physical, but spiritual. Not just a funeral, but kept out of heaven forever. You see, what I mean is this. I wonder whether, and you be the judge of your own heart, whether we are more concerned about our life up to the point of the funeral. Have a think about that. All your thoughts, all your desires, all your ambitions, they all only go up to the point of the funeral and there's nothing left. There's nothing you long for beyond that. I wonder whether that's how we live. We want the best life now for ourselves, for our children, for those we love, but only up to the point of our funeral and we neglect the rest. I mean, just think about our priorities. Your priorities, where we put our attention, where we put our thoughts, what we pray about. I mean, as a parent, I was reflecting on this. Should I be more concerned, and if you're a parent, you may relate to me, should I be more concerned about my kids' education? Pay attention to making sure that they do their sports, they do their tutoring, they do their homework, they do their music lessons, they achieve well academically, they achieve well in their career and they succeed. Not that that is unimportant, don't hear me say that. But what is it that should take center place in my heart for them? What should my priorities be for my children? Those things, and I pay little or no attention at all, whether they're walking with the Lord, whether they've heard the voice of the Lord, whether they have an eternal destiny that is with the Lord. You see, the grief of a lost soul is far worse than the grief of a funeral. And perhaps this is a wake-up call for some of us, for ourselves, for those we love, I mean, it's frightening, isn't it, if you think about the statistics. We had the parent training night the other week. It is frightening. You see all the children up here this morning? The stats are is that most of them, at least half of them, by the time they turn 20-something, will no longer walk with the Lord. Doesn't that frighten you? It frightens me. It really frightens me. And some of us parents, well, we don't think about that. We need to make sure... Study well, work hard, sports here, that. But what should take center place? What is it that should take center place for ourselves? And we're not just talking about parents here. All of us. In the relationships we've been given. As a husband or as a wife. What is it that we long for for our spouse? As an auntie or uncle. What is it we long for for our niece and nephews? As a grandparent. Because so what if my life is so wonderful and awesome up to the point of the funeral? So what? Think about that. Who cares? In a hundred years' time, would that matter? If your life was so good up to the point of the funeral? In a thousand years' time, so what if your life was wonderful up to the point of the funeral? You see, those who will be there are those who responded to the voice of Jesus. And I know for some of us here, this is hard to hear. Where parents, grandparents, aunties, uncles, where we know we have loved ones, husbands and wives, 
who are not walking with the Lord. And it weighs heavily upon our hearts. And it should. But what do we do? We come to God. We plead, Lord, have mercy that they may too hear the voice of Jesus and get up. And so death is a morbid topic. But we need to think about it. It's better, it's far better to know about it before it happens. At the beginning, I started with John Don's quote, death comes equally to us all and makes us all equal when it comes. Remember that? Well, what we've seen today in this passage, it's not entirely true. Because if you and me, like that young man, we hear the voice of the Lord, we know that our funeral is not the end. It's just a comma. It's not a full stop. Because I know him who holds the future. Amen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that because he lives, we can face tomorrow because he lives. All fear is gone because we know he who holds the future. And so life is worth the living because he lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.